Welcome to Tilt Talks. My name is Adam Roberts, and I'm the producing artistic director of Tilt Performance Group, a theater company I co-founded in 2013 with a mission to shatter disability stereotypes through inclusive theater. Throughout the upcoming seasons of this podcast, I'll be chatting with company members, staff, volunteers, and community partners about their stories and what Tilt means to them. This is Tilt Talks, shattering disability stereotypes one episode at a time. Welcome everyone back to Tilt Talks. This is Adam Roberts, the founding artistic director of Tilt, and we've taken a little bit of a summer hiatus from our podcast series where listeners get the opportunity to learn a little more about our company members, our board members, and all of our Tilt community. And I'm so excited to be sitting here on the other side of the Zoom screen here today with Liz Ross. Welcome, Liz. It is so great to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't we delve right in and talk a little bit about how you came to Tilt, a little bit about your audition. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the the beginnings of Tilt for you. Um, I found out about Tilt uh, when I went and saw a performance at the Ground Floor Theater, probably like two, three, I think three years ago now, maybe. And it, um, and then I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed the, I appreciated the mission, and everybody seemed incredibly nice. And then I found out about the audition because I like I was like, oh, send me out more information. I found out that they were having auditions and I prepared a song and a monologue and auditioned at like within a couple of months, I think, um, from from then and uh, found out that I got became part of the company and then uh, participated in my first production not long after that which was uh game night and that one was really fun it was um it was musical but it was one that we we really created our um selves and it was not really curated off of like another an original um show or anything I really like that we talk about our own personal experiences with games, which is something that like I have worked in the games industry before and uh, I grew up playing games. So for me, it was really, really wonderful. And then I've made some really awesome friends and had really awesome conversations and our show um, won uh, is it B. Iden Payne Award? I always mix up with this Iden B. Payne or B. Iden Payne. That's right. B. Iden Payne is right. Yes. I got it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and I didn't even know we were going for one. I like, I was just caught up in doing the show and then um, I got my, you know, got my award and that, um, that was really, really wonderful. And I loved how inclusive um, our shows are our, like that show was particularly really like unique in that we um, uh, the games included the audience and we made sure that everybody could participate in some way. Um, and that was really wonderful, especially since I played a game show host and I could 
uh, and, we, and we figured out how can we create games where people, no matter what their, um, you know, what how they communicate, how they, you know, function, they are able to participate. And that was really cool. Uh, it was different things that I like hadn't thought about before, you know, that um, people talked about with their different, you know, their different ways of functioning, whether it's like, you know, maybe clapping might be a little bit challenging or, you know, snapping or, you know, uh, what's easier for some people versus others and how can they, you know, how can we work, make those things work? And how can I communicate that to an audience? So that's awesome. And I want to unpack a little bit of that with you, because I think you have such interesting and awesome perspectives about this. When you saw your first Tilt production at Ground Floor Theater, do you remember which one it was or what the premise was? I believe it was Pandora. Okay. I think that's the one where... uh, they there's a, there was like a devil or something like that and Pan, yes pandora yeah. life outside the box yeah 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 that's what it was life outside the box yeah and it was uh, really fascinating because it it wasn't the usual take on pandora's box like it was you know a really interesting spin on it and kind of really just taking pandora and then just like See, running with it and seeing where you know they could go creative the cast could go creatively and everybody was participated and uh i really um like you know there it, there were some people that were just so funny and uh and, and it, it, i was like well, it, it wasn't it was something that you could just tell that they are just funny people and it just really came through in their character and that they were really cast in a way that that could come through. And when I've met them as people, I'm like, this person is just like, they shine through. It's just being hilarious all the time. And, and I think it, you know, that um, it was really beautiful to where like, you could see how, um, in casting and everything's really well thought out to really make sure people are able to um, function within like the realm of what their abilities are, you know, um, not giving them more lines than they're able to handle, you know, and not, and, and then you know, also using a space that is uh, supportive of the community. You know, there's some theaters that are harder to get in and out with the wheelchair. And there's several cast members that have wheelchairs. And uh, and it's also like really what I thought was really beautiful is that people with wheelchairs were like full cast members with like full blown characters. And that it it's only people with disabilities that are in like the show, you know showing, hey, we put on full productions, we create the shows ourselves. And I, I mean, I like, I absolutely loved it. Like I, um, I love the costumes because they, like they were, that one, I think there was some like red costumes and there was like a like devil, was it Toby was like a devil? Toby Ultra Bulsey. 
Yeah, yeah. He was played a game show host. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. And, and and I when I met him, I was like, he's he's hilarious. And then when I met him, I was like, yeah, he's definitely he's just as funny on stage, if if not more off stage. And he's like that all the time. And then uh, and he's really tall, like. And he and it was interesting what I learned talking about to him about like the different heights that that exist for people that are in wheelchairs. Like there's like the height of being in the wheelchair and then there's your actual body height. And I hadn't even thought about that before. And just like the different way that, um, you know, people look at people with wheelchairs, they kind of look past them as if they're not people and they talk down to them instead or they they talk to the person that's like their care like their caregiver or there's you know the person that helps them and they look at them instead of talking to them as if they're a person that can communicate and um and it's just like it's i mean i can't imagine how frustrating i like i know from how frustrating it is for them from what they've told me but I don't know from living that experience, you know, like having that happen all the time, you know, um, I, I have epilepsy. So mine is considered an invisible disability. And the frustrating thing is, is that I hear a lot of people say things about people with disabilities and they don't think I have one until I, um, say something. And and then you can see the shift in their eyes sometimes of, oh, oh my gosh, you have epilepsy. You, all of a sudden you have this terrifying thing. The seizures are like scary. It looks like somebody's dying in front of you. And you can't do any, and people often think they can't do anything about it unless they're trained to. And it's not like you all of a sudden become this person that they need to take care of as opposed to like, being the exact same person before that just has something that I've lived with for most of my life. And um, I really liked that Tilt has created this space for everybody to just be themselves without like having that barrier of you are that your disability or seeing us for the disabilities. It's like, yes, you have to have a disability to get to have a disability to get in. But that's after that, it's like, we just want to make sure you've got the support you need. And that's it. And shattering disability stereotypes is a big part of what we're all about. And I think that you help contribute to that with everything that you do with us, Liz. I want to shift gears for a second, and I would like to ask you a little bit about, I know that you are working currently uh, toward your doctorate and master's master's degree. Okay, master's degree. And I'd love to hear a little more about that. And also, as you talk about it, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about whether you feel like your brief time with Tilt has impacted the specific subject matter that you're going to sort of reveal to us here. You know, you were only, you've only been in person with Tilt for a relatively short amount of time because your first production with us, as you mentioned, Game Night with Tilt, that took place in February of 2020, 
right before um, COVID shut down Austin. And so I'm interested to know whether your interactions with Tilt have, you know, sort of affected your perspectives on your, uh, the field that you are studying and interacting with. So if you could talk a little bit about that, I think that'd be fascinating. Well, interestingly, I was at the same time I was doing that production, I was uh, directing another show and like Tilt, the game night ended. And then our production was only like the other production was only one weekend and it went down. And then like, I believe like that's when everything closed up. Like we barely scraped by both performance, both shows before the whole city was like everything shutting down, no public performances. South, I remember like, I also have a radio show at the KOP and we, and I had met the head of South by because he was there, you know, talking about getting away tickets and talking about South by Southwest. And he's like, yeah, we're still on there. And then all of a sudden it was just like, South by is not happening to anybody. And he had been there just a matter of days right before. And it was just, it was eerie, like going from being all about entertainment performance to nothing. And it was, it was devastating. Um, and uh, so I had to take, I lost all of my work. I was a teaching artist with uh, creative action. So I would teach children art after school. School was no longer in person. So we had no work. And then, um, and then I couldn't get my unemployment sorted out because they couldn't sort it out. So I never got unemployment and I couldn't get health insurance because they couldn't verify my identity. So I was just like, you know, kind of screwed. And I had to sit there and think like, what am I going to do? You know, um, luckily I, you know, have a renter. I own my house. I have a renter, but I was just like, how on earth am I going to survive? And because I don't know when this is going to end. And um, I watched, uh, I, I did this online class that was free. And it was um, about, it was the beginning of the pandemic. And it was about um, the science, science of well-being. And I and it really helped me get through the pandemic because it made me like shift my journaling and everything to like being focused on gratefulness. And like, I would like journal, like instead of, cause like my journal would be like, oh, I'm so upset about all these things and all this stuff To These are five things I'm grateful for. And these are like the things I appreciate that happened today. And it really was interesting to start to notice like, wow, I've really been, I had been focusing on the negative. No wonder I was depressed because I was creating a cycle. And then that made me be appreciative of like the communities that I had been a part of and helped, you know, develop and, you know, encourage like Tilt and how I really needed them. Um, and I was like, well, how can I, you know, still support them and still financially survive? in a way that is, you know, beneficial for everyone and myself. Because I'm a, at the end of the day, I'm a caretaker. I love to help people, everything like that. So I realized that I, 
having grown up and going to hospital and you know doctor a lot I was I really didn't love being constantly put on medications I really wanted an alternative way of treating people and so I had gotten acupuncture and it, it really was the only thing that cured my um or that helped really turn my uh pain around because I had chronic pain um from a car accident years ago and I ended up getting like I get really bad like pain in my foot and it, it like wouldn't go away and nothing and I was like well should I get surgery so it treated it and so and I was talking to my acupuncturist and I was like where'd you go to school? And they're like, oh, they went to AOMA. And so I started looking at it and I was like, well, I've been wanting to go back to graduate, to go to graduate school. Why not? And I checked it out and I signed up and started going to graduate school and absolutely loved it. Um, I'm in my second semester of my second year now. It is because there's so much content that you learn. It is actually like, usually if you go regular pace, four years, I'm going what's considered fast track. So right now I'm taking nine classes. <laughs> wow. But nine. for me, I'm going like, well, it's pandemic. Like my classes are mostly online. Um, so I'm at home and I do the classes on Zoom. We get 15 minute breaks every hour and or like a 30 minute break in the middle. And so I can go grab a snack, go to the bathroom. I can also walk away and go to the bathroom if I need to. I can do what I need to, to maintain it. I'm home with my pets. So it's kind of like an easier environment. And then I have, you know, I don't really have to drive across town. And it, it like alleviates some of the stress in a way. But I also have my accommodation so I can like take testing. Um, like I can print my tests and then answer and work them out online, like on paper, and then fill them out, the answers out online. I, I like, I've had to like work through to get these specific accommodations because um, I have what's called like cognitive delay. Like it takes me a longer time to answer questions on test, even though like I could talk it out. If you could like, let me talk out the test, <laughs> I do great, but doing it on paper, I, or like on a computer, it's like, I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, um, is it A, B, or C? The time it takes me to do it is like probably four to five times longer than somebody who got this. And it's because of the epilepsy and the number of seizures I've had, the um, concussions from seizures and medication. So it's like, you know, I, I work on in speeding it up, but still it's the fact that I have to work on it so much. But back to your question about how has tilt impacted it, it absolutely has. Because like there is what we call e-stem. Now you have to be really careful about if you're going to treat it, use e-stem um, electronic stimulation and using um, acupuncture points um, and acupuncture with electronic stimulation on people with epilepsy. But there, um, but you can use it for um, paralysis. And you can also use it for like different kinds of um, pain and for different kinds of neurological disorders or like something like if somebody has stroke, um, you can help with different kinds of issues. And that's something that one of my, my professors specifically focuses on. She doesn't want to deal with emotional issues. She's like, 
emotional issues, I'll send that to somebody else. But she focuses on this. And because we have several people that, you know, have different issues in that realm, as, you know, until I was like, I'm really curious to go learn more about what you do. And then, like, there's Bell's palsy that we learned, like, that we learn a lot about, which is something sometimes people can have happen um, in, like, if they have a stroke for, based on, like, if, like, sometimes they can have another condition that can cause them to have Bell's palsy, like, it, it just is something that happens to people sometimes, and it can be brief, but it can still make your face kind of lag. And so there's, it's interesting because acupuncture can treat so many different things. It can also treat like allergies. I don't have really bad allergies um, because I can treat my, well, I can put those points on my own self now, but um, before I could, I would get acupuncture and it would really make a difference. But it's just like simple things to where like alleviating pain and discomfort. If people are sitting in a wheelchair like all the time, all day, that's got to be like a certain level of discomfort. And I talked to them and I said, you know, what issues you're having? They're like, oh, well, my leg was fast. Well, those are things that could potentially be alleviated. If it's, you know, um, emotional issues from like, there's definitely going to be, emo- like most people with disabilities have emotional like issues. Like I would say like depression is pretty common with people with, dis- with uh, epilepsy. Um a lot of times it's because people don't understand epilepsy and they see, and when like you come out of a seizure and people are staring at you, you then have to take care of everybody else along with yourself. You know, you have to be like, Hey everybody, I'm not dying. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of emotional weight that people carry when they have disabilities. And so with being with tilt, it really made me think about this and think about how can I support, you know, um, this specific community and think about how does emotional trauma impact disabilities and neurological conditions? Um, where, where's that overlap? And where is like, because usually emotional issues, like emotions are stored and we, and they, they make things worse. And if we can help release them, they can help us heal. So at the end of the day, acupuncture is like, helping our bodies feel itself. And I love that word that you used support, because I think that one of the things that folks who are perhaps not as acquainted with the disability community are unaware of is that for a lot of folks, you know, the medical community often will have a curative model while we're going to cure this condition of yours. Whereas Um, You know, not everyone who has a disability wants their condition to be cured or feels that a, quote, cure is an answer to their personal experience with disability. But I think support is huge. And the fact that you as a as a budding practitioner are talking about how can I support through the modalities that I'm learning the. Uh, life experience of folks who may not have disabilities, but also specifically folks with disabilities, just like you said, pain alleviation, not trying to cure something, but to, to support quality of life um, in this community as well is huge. Well, and I think it's something that is really telling, like my friend is 
um, like I've known her for a long time now, probably 13, 16 years, something like that. Um, and I met her right after she like left uh, being a Jehovah's Witness. And she grew up in it and she left when she was 27. She's 43 now. When she left, she did not know much of the outside world outside of being Jehovah's Witness. And uh, and she grew up, she has type 1 diabetes. So she grew up with it, but and her mom had left before when she was eight and she tried to take her with her, but they wouldn't let her. And so, but her father didn't want to deal with her, passed her off to her you know, grandmother, like, it's just like the way she grew up, her diabetes wasn't well cared for. And she wasn't taught to properly care for her condition. But because of that, now she, it, it, it worsened the condition, you know, it worsened her diabetes. And now she's 43 and she's getting, she's in full renal failure. She is, uh, which is like renal failures, like your kidneys are not functioning. You have to be on dialysis three, like for a certain period of time, like frequency, um, because they don't function. And if your kidneys don't function, you pretty much will die if, not, if you don't have support. And so she has to um, go to dialysis three days a week. And each session is four days long. And she's just sitting there having the machine pretty much do the work of her kidneys for her which is very, very, you know, hard. Now I've gone and sat with, sat with her and a lot of times she just sits there by herself. And, uh, and I like, she, they make, it makes her very nauseous and it makes her very tired. And I've gone and massaged points on her hands to help alleviate the nausea so she could eat afterwards. Um, and it's a very strict regimen of how it's done. You're supposed to try to complete the entire period. Um, but I talked with her and I said, you know, when people say, which sometimes parents will say, if I could take it away from you, I would. But the thing is, is that I have never once told my mother to take it away that I can remember. I have expressed frustration. <laughs> like that's frustration is different. Everybody gets frustrated with different things in their lives. Because it's like, well, why me? Why do I have this? What? It's like existential crises. Some people like, you know, artists like I do, I have existential crises all the time. You know, like that's just life <laughs> for me. I'm like, what is the world? <laughs> but, I, but I have come to a place of peace with my epilepsy. And I now see it as a gift. And I see it as an alarm system. That if I am taking great care of myself, I'm not going to have a seizure, you know, because nothing's wrong. Like I'm, I'm in a like state of low stress. I'm sleeping well and I'm eating healthy and all things are good. My emotions, I'm, I'm keeping in check with my emotions. I know that my throat threshold gets lower if I'm not sleeping, getting enough sleep. If I go with like very little sleep for, you know, every day, like that I go little sleep and I don't catch up on sleep, my threshold gets lower. And the same thing, and then if I start getting stressed out on emotions, 
well, that's piling it on and it's making it worse. And so it's going to increase my likelihood of having a seizure. And my seizures, like, kind of like pretty much my body, like, going, hey, you have to stop. You need to stop. You need to t- you need to chill out. What everything you're doing is wrong, and you know it. You know better. And and then it's like forces me to like take a nap. It's like forcing me to take a day off, reset, and purge everything from my system. It, it feels a seizure kind of feels like an intense purge, like of all of your emotions everything that's ever bothered you like at like up to that point right there that's been you know really sticking with people i haven't been getting my emotions like communicating them effectively and they've been pent up it's like an emotional purge um but when i talked to this friend with diabetes i said would um you know, how do you feel when people say that they would take it away from you if they could? And she said, I like, it's weird because like, I wouldn't like my diabetes is a part of me. I don't like, I wouldn't know who I am because I've lived with it for so long. And that's something that I think is important for practitioners to understand. Just because you don't have a disability and that is your normal does not mean that it has to be their normal and that it has to be everyone's normal. Everyone, it's kind of like if you're trying to force everyone in the world to never have any kind of medical condition, then you're trying, you're talking about eugenics and eugenics is really problematic. And that's what we're tilting perspectives here, right? I mean, tilting perspectives is something that we say we do at tilt and that I love that we do on this podcast and in every facet of tilt that we have. And it's always crazy to me at the same time that we're like always looking at the clock here. And I always feel like we have hours more of conversation to have and we're already at the end of the episode. So (laughs) it's crazy. It's crazy how that works. And I want to thank you so much, Liz, for being here with us today for sharing your story, part, a very small fraction of your story, because that's that's what we explore on Tilt Talks. But one of the things that I love about the arts is that there's always a to be continued and we get it to be continued and we're going to get to learn much more about you and your story through your characters and through your work with Tilt. And I can't wait to experience that. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. And I'd be happy to come back. Wonderful. We'll have to do a part two. Yes. Thank you. Well, thanks to everyone for uh, tuning in with us today. And we'll be back next time with another episode of Tilt Talks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tilt Talks. And special thanks to Riley Wesson for editing today's installment. Catch you next time.